This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Pretty bad. The Raptors lose 138 to 100 to the New Orleans Pelicans the second night of a back-to-back in Nolens, in NOLA. They got absolutely demolished by Zion Williamson. I think Brandon Ingram had one of his best jump shooting games in his whole career. They had a bunch of different people pop in. You know, CJ goes 7 for 12. Trey Murphy goes 4 for 10. That's not incredible, but Alvarado 5 for 11. Everybody who played in this game from the Pelicans' point of view, from their roster, scored. Now, that's also, like, that was close to being true for the Raptors if, if Dennis didn't go 0 for, what, 0 for 4 in this game and uh, no free throws either. But, yeah, the Raptors, they got shellacked, man, 138 to 100. I'll tell you something, and everyone, you know, pat yourself on the back here. If you watch the game where the Raptors lost by 38 and on top of that, they're just a team that has been losing a bunch of games lately. Good for you. You're a real big fan, true fan. If you've come over here, whether you're listening on the, you know, the podcast app or live on the YouTube chat, you are a hardcore fan. I appreciate you so much. A lot of what Raptors Republic does is based around providing the people who want more insights and who are a little bit more invested into the team, uh, so much so that they'll watch the team get, you know, absolutely demolished by 38 points on a nice Monday night. Um, yeah, we're here to talk about the game. The big takeaways, the Pelicans are good. That's a very good team. You know, they have their inconsistencies. They have odd talent overlap. They're looking for a better fitting system and team overall. Yes, but they are gluttonous when it comes to talent, gluttonous when it comes to athleticism and gluttonous when it comes to length. They have all those things. Cody Wiles in chat also of Raptors Republic fame, says, wins and lessons, Samson. <laughs> what lessons can we take? Well, I'm not I'm not much of a, a, a teacher, you know. I was going to actually be a teacher coming out of high school. That's what I wanted to do. I want to be a gym teacher. I don't know if anybody, if that's going to make sense for how I am as a person. But, uh, yeah, we can, we can talk about, like, a lesson plan. The first, le- like, the first, like, bullet point on the lesson plan. Grady Dick scores 20 points for the first time in his NBA career and does so on, you know, I think he started five for seven. So finishing nine of 16 is not incredible where he started from, but 20 points, 16 shots, 56% from the field. And get this, he had a good closeout, one really nice closeout. And every time I go to the arena to talk to these guys or take pictures of them prior to the game, guess what? I'm here to tell you. They make Grady work on closeouts. Nobody else on this team has to work on closeouts, but they make Grady do it. It's paying off. He's got size. He can read the floor. He can move his feet slower than most, but he can move them. That was nice to see. (sighs) 
Nesta says, please put an end to the Hawkins slash Dick debate. I tweeted this, I think, in the first quarter. I said, it is no longer about the Raptors beating the Pelicans. If Grady scores more points or hits more threes, I can't remember which one I said, than Hawkins, that means the Raptors win. Guess what, baby? Victory. Because we're talking JV. Um, okay. I Like, just to keep it, you know, Grady finishes with 20, uh, 22 points in this game. Fantastic, man. Um Country Kong says, this is Grady's team now. Agreed. Yes. Um, we are in the dick era. Um, on top of that, we get a few really fun plays. Like, yes, Grady is now shooting over 40% on the season from the corners. That's a big deal. He didn't shoot very well from the corners in college. It's nice to see him canning them from the corners in the NBA. Um, above the break stuff has little, been a little bit difficult, but he hit one tonight, so that's nice to see. He's shooting like around 20% on the season. We need that kind of pickup. We need to see that be a little bit better. However, we see him as he has been, you know, kind of like over the course of the season, every once in a while, you run him off a 77, get, or sorry, 77's on ball. You run him off a stagger and away. He comes off it. He curls into the lane. He's good at, you know, maintaining that dribble as long as the dig isn't coming too deep. If the dig is coming at all, he's going to go into a jump pass where he goes above the breaker to the corner. That's a fine progressive read. That's fine. But if the dig doesn't come too deep, he can go with his left hand or right hand, kind of like squeak his way into the lane, see what he wants to do. He hits a jumper out of that tonight. He's able to play make out of that tonight. He's able to get to spots out of that tonight using his live dribble to get to spots on the floor. That's a big deal. That's what we want to see. Hitting the catch-and-shoot stuff to the tune of 4 for 8 from downtown, that's what we want to see. The above-the-break stuff should come over time. And here's my favorite one, right? So the Raptors have an ATO. And, you know, we look at this team. You got to take your wins where you can get them. If you're running ATOs in the first half for Grady Dick, this is a team that probably doesn't want to win that many games or doesn't have the expectation to. So they have him set a rip screen, back screen, I should say. They're the same thing, but basketball terminology is dumb. So anyway, he sets a back screen, heads over to the corner, curls around another screen, catches. So when a shooter catches in the corner, you know, a lot of times if it's like a handoff in the corner, they call it a grenade DHO, and you'll see a lot of guys will pump and get the blow, the flyby going behind them or something like that. The guy gets a controlled closeout, but he's on Grady's back. Grady's a pretty big shooter. You know, maybe he doesn't have the shooter like tagline yet, but he's a pretty big guy for a guy who's expected to shoot in motion, all that kind of stuff. So he puts him in jail and putting a guy in jail means you put them stuck behind your back. You know, you're a Raptors fan. You've watched Kyle Lowry do it kind of like crab walking his way down the lane. Guy stuck on his hip, controlling pace, making sure you maintain like a four on three advantage. Grady sees that. And while he picks up his dribble just a little bit too early, he gets deep enough, pops in a floater controlling pace, using size, doing it with a live dribble. Good Grady stuff. Now, that's Grady. 22 points, 9 of 16 from the field. Is there anything <laughs> Is there anything else good to talk about from this game? That's the tough one. You know, I look at this, I see that we're about 7 minutes in. That's not much. We usually do about an hour. I don't know if we're going to get that. Abre Los Ojos says I miss OG. Me too. And maybe even just the conversations. Um, the thing is, and Phoenix Plays Z says, nope. I, I, I assume that is about, did anything else good happen in this game? I'll tell you a good thing that happened in this game. 
Jakob Pertl and Scotty Barnes, the first play of the game, they run a snug pick and roll. And Scotty is able to make the, the pocket pass, scores the basket. They ran a snug pick and roll later in the quarter. He's able to make that play. And then on top of that, you know, we got more pick and roll possessions for Scotty to where he can make some of the top down decision making. And 17 points, four assists, five rebounds, five of 12 from the field. Too much of his shot chart was from three point land in this game, I think. But again, he played almost 47 minutes last night. Um, he's obviously gassed to some degree. And this wasn't the game where he was going to go toe to toe with Ingram, who went 16 of 21 from the field and 8 of 11 from downtown. It would have been cool to get that star wing matchup or something like that, right? And of course, it would have been really cool. But that's obviously not something that we get out of this game because and maybe we would have had a better chance at it if the Raptors aren't, you know, in Oklahoma till whatever time last night. Um, Michael Grange, he's obviously not on the private plane like the Raptors are, but even Michael, well, I guess it's not really comparison. Michael got caught up. He was tweeting about it. He got caught up. The planes weren't working. I assume the Raptors did, but they got in late. OK, I'm trying to give them some sort of excuse for getting 38 points, a deficit. Good Lord. Um, not Scotty's best game, not Jakob's best game defensively. I think offensively, you know, Jakob allowed guys clearance on screens, did really well to like maintain and manage passing windows to open up opportunities for guys to play make in the screen and roll, whether it was IQ or Scotty. That was nice to see. But on top of that, you get IQ who's three for 10 in this game, finishes with eight points. He did get six assists, but like you're looking at this team. You're saying, what's going on, man? Like, you're saying, what's going on, man? Oh, geez. You know, Gary goes one for five, but he only plays 14 minutes, well, almost 15 minutes. Has a lower back injury of sorts, didn't come back into the game. Dennis 0 for four. Wara gave you seven points on eight shots. Sure, Jalen McDaniels underwhelms once again. Maybe he didn't underwhelm. I think people are thoroughly good at expecting what whelm he will provide, I suppose. But yeah, Garrett Temple, two for four. Chris scored 11 points in like the full fourth quarter. That's nice to see. Cash to three. I think he gave Grady one of his assists on a, you know, a bit of a sloppy pass out. But hey, this is the way things are shaking out. This is a team that is not super packed up on talent. This is a team that's not not super packed up on let's say, togetherness. I think a lot of guys on the roster currently are looking at the trade deadline as like, well, I might be somewhere else in a few days. And they, really, there's quite a few guys who that could be a possibility for. I know last night on the podcast with Trey and S, I had said that I expect Chris Boucher and Bruce Brown to be the two guys who are traded. It, of course, could be different. That's my expectation, though. And on that note, since this will be a shorter podcast, I'm going to take this opportunity. We've got an ad, ladies and gentlemen. And the advertisement is there's only so many tickets left to tomorrow night, which is the live podcast, Downtown Toronto, Rivoli. Myself, William Liu, Blake Murphy, Lindsey Dunn, Louis Satsman, Travon Heath, Isfandiar Berhaney, Brandon Leftwich, a coach for the 905. Brandon Leftwich is the coach. Andrew Damlin, Amana Don, Isfandiar Berhaney. And I think that's it. If I forgot someone, my God. So, so sorry. Coco says plug the t-shirt too, please. That's correct. For the people who are watching on the uh, 
the YouTube version, this is Caitlin Cooper's T-shirt. So um, it's basically Rick Carlisle had that famous quote this season where I guess the back of the okay, he had that famous quote this season where he was talking about you can only date a pretty girl for so long, but it gets boring because she can't play defense. Of course, it's completely nonsensical. That makes no sense at all. But Caitlin Cooper saw a really unique opportunity to be able to, you know, make a shirt out of this. And so she was kind enough to send me a couple shirts and uh, we're doing a jersey swap. She gets a minute basketball one and um, hot girl basketball is what she's kind of tagged it. So you can just go type in basketball. She wrote on Google and her stuff will come up and you can buy a shirt if you like it. And for the audio people, just trust that like, hey, this is a nice shirt and I look good in it. <laughs> Joshua J says, what are realistic expectations in a trade for Boucher? Anyways, a second rounder. Yeah, I would think a, a second rounder. Um, I guess it depends on, it's probably not a good second rounder. Maybe you could get, you could get two or something like that. It's a possibility depending on, it, it would be like if a team really like, let's say like Phoenix and Dallas both want Boucher and they have to outbid the other one and whoever has like the lower second is saying like hey we're gonna give you let's say like the 48th pick in the draft for chris boucher or like the 51st and the other team is saying well we'll have probably around like the 55th or 56th then the other then you say like we'll give us like a 2027 second round pick on top of that and maybe that's how it shakes out maybe that's how you get the chris boucher two seconds but i think um i think that's probably one second is those are my expectations i should say taco and nacho battle channel says caitlin owes us all shirts for indiana's theft of pascal um she listens to these sometimes i hope she heard that one because she was very giddy when she saw what went out for pascal and she's really been enjoying the pascal experience um i've i haven't caught a pascal indiana game in a little bit of time but he had a, he had a good game by the box score against charlotte but moving on <sighs> This is, yeah, I guess to finish off the ad, um, we only have so many tickets left. And what happened last year was they sold out. And then some people started freaking out day of saying like, well, I was planning to buy them late. Just go buy the tickets now and I'll see whoever, what you're listening right now or you're watching right now, I'll see you tomorrow night. And you can come meet myself, William Liu, Blake Murphy, all the guests and everything. We can talk basketball um, in a panel sense, in an audience and speaker sense, and then just interpersonal sense it'll be a blast okay everyone come out i'll see you there okay yg7 says how are we this bad defensively players either are checked out or schemes are poop okay so this is a this is a really good question i don't look at this game and see in fact i don't look at the raptors and see bad schemes i think that defense is a lot of effort and a lot of personnel and a lot of buy-in. And on top of that, I think that it is important to have unique packages within your overall scheme that can work around some limitations. Like let's say if you have a star guard like Trey Young or Tyrese Halliburton or something like that that struggles on the defensive end, you should have unique wrinkles and packages that you can throw out for like two or three minutes at a time. Maybe, maybe even it's only like four or five possessions at a time that help protect those guys and throw different looks at, you know, an offense. And also you have to be able to kind of like throw junk sometimes. The Raptors have been a famous throwing junk team going back to the Nick Nurse era, right? 
and he was pretty good at knowing when to throw the junk, when to throw like the full court press in randomly in the third quarter, when to go to zone for like two minutes at a time. Um, it, he wasn't just a zone out of timeout type of guy. And Darko is not as, I guess, not as volatile as a decision maker. He's mostly playing, he's playing a more conservative style, but there's just less defensive talent on the team. And as we talked about earlier, if half the roster is saying like, I might be traded. And also the intentions of this team are pretty clear. I think everybody understands. um, I think everybody understands what this team is trying to do. Rebuilding, retooling, tanking, or whatever. Um, Yeah, that's kind of what it is. We have a good comment here from Slomo. Okay, so here it is. Not one person on that panel has any inside sources, just a bunch on analytic lovers who think their rec ball experience applies to covering the NBA. Here's the good thing. I think the people who were, you know, on the panel should be very, very, they should feel complimented that you think that everybody there plays rec ball. I'll say, <laughs> I'll say that much. Um, inside sources, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I, I don't think the the pre-trade deadline thing is um i don't really think it's about like telling you this is who's going to get traded this is what's going to happen i think it's to be like a community event where people who enjoy the presence of other people and who can have you know basketball conversations without seeming like you know kind of an an edgelord or an incel or something like that that aren't steeped in like negativity they can come together in community and enjoy something like uh, the raptors you know together have conversations that's the point of it. It wouldn't be to like tell you guys like, hey, Chris Boucher is getting traded to the Dallas Mavericks. Um, that's not what the live podcast is. Um, the whole point of the live podcast is that um, people enjoy the work that we do. Um, obviously, you don't slow-mo, but um, people do. And they enjoy, you know, meeting us and chopping it up. And I really enjoy talking hoops with people. That's something I like. That's the whole appeal of the live podcast. The people who came here had a, had an awesome time, and I don't think we correctly predicted any trades. I like I really don't think we did, but that's not the appeal. So slow-mo, if you've bought a ticket or if you're looking to buy a ticket based on that, my apologies. That is not what we provide. Um, defense, though, I played a little myself there. Let me get it. <laughs> defense, though, I don't think that the Raptors are playing good defense. That's not, you know, borne out in the numbers. That's not borne out in anything, really. I think you can see it. Like, they don't have as much at the point of attack. They don't have as much at the back end. Like, Jakob Pertl did a good job rolling in this game. Was he effective as far as defense? Not at all. He wasn't good at all. Um, Aubrey Losojo says, Samson, you have to beat the analytics merchant charges. Yeah. I don't think I really use any analytics to be, to be quite honest with you. Um, the reason why like NBA coaches like my work or like professional scouts like my work is because, um, there's not a lot of analytics in that. There's just like, um, breakdowns of gameplay, I suppose. But I'll tell you this much. Jakob analytically has had a lot of stretches this season that have been good defensively where he's kind of turned it on where the Raptors have been able to funnel to him. And he's had some, I don't know how I'd say it. I think really bad stretches where the Raptors have been 
their point of attack defense has struggled. Their rotations at the nail have struggled. And he has not been like an all otherworldly stopper at the back end. He's a guy who has to work in unison with people. I'll say that much. I'll take a drink of water. <clears throat> On top of all that, though, Thaddeus Young can't step in and provide that. Um, Scotty Barnes, I think, has been fantastic as like a weak side helper, a backline sweeper, and certainly can play ab above his height and weight in that role. But he can't fix the defense. And he's also been doing a lot of like point of attack stuff over the past however many games, right? These things are really tough. And the Raptors just don't have the... I don't think they have the talent at this point in time. I don't think that they have the want at this point in time. And if they had those things, then we could start worrying about the infrastructure, I think. And on top of that, I think that, you know, infrastructure comes first probably. But if you don't have like a cohesive team, you can undo the infrastructure. And yeah, Alex says, Samson, I'm worried about this team. Honestly, don't be. It, or if if you have to on your own and kind of like adjust your expectations, I'm, give me a follow-up comment. I kind of want to know what your expectations are and then we can talk about, you know, what this looks like for the rest of the season. I'm not super sure. Um, Matthew Pang says, thoughts on quickly this game? Yeah, bad quickly game. After, I think there was a a game last night for a portions, I think quickly found his way as a driver. Made a lot of nice live dribble reads. I didn't find that to be the case necessarily in this game. Like, yeah, he made that he made two floaters in this game, like good, but three of ten overall. I think that's he has struggled inside the arc. He has struggled to like maintain the live dribble for longer possessions. And he struggled to just like beat guys off the bounce. And those things create a tough ecosystem to build out his game for like, this is where everyone else will get their advantages from Emmanuel quickly. It was nice last game to see him kind of get on the inside and manage the, the floor against an OKC team that was like missing a couple guys. And also Chet had kind of like before the end of the game was really having a tough game defensively and offensively. And Jakob was kind of eating his lunch. And that was nice to see for quickly, but I think that wasn't really the norm, right? Like quickly, as far as getting downhill, creating for others, being able to do that kind of stuff, that's not super consistent in his game. We've seen his assist numbers and his assist rate rise a lot since joining the Raptors, but I've referred to the Raptors as an assist farm before. And there's a reason Dennis Schroeder was able to come in at the start of the season and through the first 10 games, average what, like nine assists per game. He's not like the, the most robust creator in the world, However, the Raptors run a ton of actions. They get guys going downhill with off-ball stuff. Um, Darko is pretty slick as far as like designing offense. You can just be a trigger man and get assists. Like that's something that can happen. And guys being a little bit more willing to shoot the three. Most threes are assisted. You have a higher three-point attempt rate. You're going to get more assists. So quickly as assists have gone up, I think we've seen meaningful possessions where he creates out of the pick and roll. Yes, but as far as like 
broken plays, making the right read as a passer. That hasn't been the case, I don't think. When the pick and roll gets extended, like flattened out, and you can see that the defense is like shaping to guard against him, I think that he's missed some of the short side reads. And those are typically the easier ones to make. He might be a bit preoccupied with trying to weaponize the weak side. You know, as as a pick and roll ball handler, when you're running the pick and roll and you have to be a decision maker, I would think... In my own thing, I've paid attention to like the tagger a lot. And you can see that guards and initiators pay a lot of attention to the tagger. You know, there's the famous play from last night when quickly got blitzed. And you could see he was paying attention to Lou Dort, who was tagging Jakob as he rolled middle. What IQ did was he faked middle to get to get Dort to bite. Then he went to shooter and Dort had to come back out to shooter. He created the angle for shooter to make the pass to Jakob. Shooter didn't end up making that pass, but that's good manipulation, right? And I think sometimes quickly is a little bit, his eyes are too far on the other side of the court, especially as a shooter and a guy with, you know, I think a decent amount of, of gravity. Some of the short side passes can be a little bit more available. Um, but it's been, I didn't have expectations for him to be a fantastic on-ball creator as soon as he came over. I thought that, a lot of his creation should, and I still feel this way, and I'm surprised the Raptors haven't gone to it as often. Um, I think that, well, I think that it's surprising how little they've gone to those actions, and I thought that they would more so, and I thought that Quickly's creation would be out of these kind of like rapid ping-ping two-man actions with Scotty, right? And so when he's left to create in the open floor and do all that kind of stuff, he's not like surpassing my expectations, but he's not lesser than my expectations either. I think that he's mostly been just like a guy who hasn't had this role in the NBA to this point, who is being asked to create a ton. And that's kind of the situation. And he's going to learn some things. And we'll see throughout this year, he'll probably sign a contract with the Raptors in the summer, come back. We'll have maybe like a season, two seasons to get like a full look of, okay, what are some good expectations to have out of reads he might make in the pick and roll? And also Darko will give him stuff to work on in the summer. The Raptors will have development coaches. He'll have his own trainer, et cetera. And they'll try and target some things that he can work on that fit what the Raptors want to do. And we'll see how that all shakes out. But I think that he has been put in, whereas RJ has been put in a position where RJ gets to do a lot of the things he's very comfortable with and that really go towards his advantages. I think quickly came to the Raptors and immediately was asked to do a lot of stuff that he's not typically been asked to do and then aren't inherently easy for him. That's that's kind of how it shakes out. So he'll get better at the stuff that isn't easy. And when the Raptors kind of get out of this slog that they've been playing in and they get some of their, I guess, tertiary creation in a better spot, and they finally start playing like the IQ plus Scotty stuff a little bit more often. Um, he'll get a lot more of these like open above the break three-pointer looks that he's been able to hit at such a high rate. He'll also like get more spot-up looks just overall. And I think the live ball creation, while it has underwhelmed to some degree, I think that's not exactly what makes him so good. And that's also not what people thought especially like Masai or Bobby or anybody, um, I don't think that's what people thought he was going to be. He's supposed to fit in next to Scotty as they both try and like grow their legs as initiator, stretch them out, see see what they can do. 
And at the very least, if Quickly isn't that type of live ball creator, what can you do? You can put him in a bunch of two, two-man actions where he's coming off of like dribble handoffs, where he's coming off of pin downs, where he can create on the second side, and he can work off of Scotty Barnes. And then probably Quickly, it also leaves the door open since he is a good off-ball defender and not that good on-ball. If you want to try and swing for uh, like a lead initiator from the point guard position who can play point of attack defense, that you're not encroaching on anyone's growth. You're not encroaching on anyone's position. Quickly can just slide to the two. And while you will be undersized, I think that um, I think that the Raptors will be able to, I don't know. Um, with Scotty, it makes a lot of those things a little bit easier with a backline sweeper. We've seen Memphis, you know, Scotty isn't quite Jaron Jackson Jr. or anything like that, but we've seen Memphis, if Scotty's like a facsimile, facsimile of Jaron Jackson Jr., I think that um, the Raptors can stand to like lose a little bit of point of attack juice with Scotty on the team, just for like the different looks that they'll be able to provide, the backline sweeper that he kind of provides. But the quickly stuff, that's a long answer, but he's underwhelmed maybe a bit because I think that I think that he's done pretty poorly at the point of attack, but it's also kind of hard to observe anybody on this team defensively because the structure as a whole guys aren't really working together. You know, that was the rare thing about the Oklahoma city game was that guys were pretty doing pretty well on a string to maintain the show of the defense, to return to it after blitzing SGA. And maybe that's also the fact that like the Thunder made it easy by having like Wiggins catch and hold or Chet catch and hold or Giddy catch and hold. And so the Raptors had an easier time catching up to the back end of the defense. But yeah, quickly maybe underwhelmed a little bit, but it doesn't make me feel any any worse about his upside or his potential. Because right after he got, you know, traded, I did that big podcast with Lewis where we kind of did a deep dive into the numbers and the film and you know, Lewis asked me if I thought he was going to be a star, and I said, no, I don't think so. You know, all-star is probably a stretch as well, and that's not a bad thing. You can be an extremely good guard in the NBA and not be an all-star. Darren Fox isn't an all-star this year. Isn't that nuts? I mean, he might get selected as an injury replacement, but that's, that's like, you can be a really, really good guard and not be selected. From John Lamb, $5. Thank you, John. Um, that's always really nice quote. Here's a super for watching this game. I don't like this lack of effort becoming the norm bad for culture building. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you. Of course. But on top of that, there was a lot of effort last night at the very least. And, you know, maybe 38 points isn't, you know, acceptable. It certainly isn't, but you could see the Raptors kind of losing this game, even if they were a good team, like, just like take the, it's no longer these Raptors. It's like 2016 Raptors. They go against, I don't know, one of the best teams in the West, the KD Russ, okay, 2015, the KD Russ Thunder. And they lose late at night, double overtime game in Oklahoma City. KD has just hit a three in Amir Johnson's face. Everyone remembers that one, right? Um, something like that. They come the next day to New Orleans and they get shellacked. Like it's, it's reasonable. And I do think, like, maybe I am giving them too much leniency or something like that. I suppose when we think about, when we think about, you know, a 38-point loss, losing so many games lately, all that kind of stuff. But I really am kind of waiting to see how things settle 
after the trade deadline and how the Raptors build from there. When they know who's on the team, when they know like how they allocate minutes and role will be like, I think very clear. And then also on top of that, it can be fluid if anyone kind of pops off. Like if Grady's going to keep scoring 22 points every game, which he isn't, but I'm glad to see him get 16 shots up in 30 minutes. These types of games will be more regular for Grady. And then on top of that, I think that like this is a team who needs more important games from guys like a Bruce Brown or a Gary Trent Jr. or even like Quickly or Schroeder. And a lot of these guys just in these games, they don't really seem to have it. And so if not everybody has it, New Orleans had it up and down the roster. They had it. A lot of guys, they brought the juice in this game. Even even JV, who like he was 4 or 14 from the field. I think that like a lot of those misses were just tap ups. But like he finishes with 10 and 12 in 20 minutes. You know, CJ scores 20. Zion scored 16. And he did it in like 20 minutes. He also had five assists. They just bodied them everywhere. And so that's kind of how it shakes out. The Raptors got beat by a very, very strong team. And the Raptors just aren't a very good team. Them's the breaks. I don't like, there's a reason after my the Miami game, I went to that game and I enjoyed it a bunch. I, I did the podcast after the game with Blake. You know, some of you watched it. And I th- said that it was a really fun game, but my expectations also weren't for this team to be fantastic and i maybe maybe there are media members or people you consider analysts who said that like when siakam got traded this team was going to be really good or that like when fred left this team was going to be really good or whatever whatever people thought this team was going to be i like i know there were people who thought obviously like this is good they're going to pop off because you know a player i didn't like or a player whose game i didn't like or all that kind of stuff but this team, when Masai preached patience, and so did Darko and that kind of stuff, that that's meaningful. You know, Masai, who hung on to, you know, a nucleus of a team that wasn't competitive, as competitive as it needed to be for too long, he's eager to believe in his teams when he looks at the team that he has and says, we're going to need patience. And yeah, they came out and beat the Miami Heat, who maybe they finished their night of partying like four minutes before tip-off. I don't know, but it's been a rough, you know, package of games since then. This this team just isn't very good. And I'm interested to see what it looks like post-trade deadline. And we'll see how that kind of goes. Rob the Clown says, Samson, do you think Scotty has a chance to be the G League MVP next year? I do not. However... I think that Scotty has a real chance to make all NBA at like some point in time in the next two seasons. This season obviously is not going to happen next season. We'll see how they retool in the summer. And as far as like, I don't know, we'll, we really, because it's tough to make all NBA without being on a really good team, but Scotty conceivably like next year, would it be crazy if he had numbers like 22, eight and six, 23, eight and seven, No, that's like perfectly within the realm of possibility. And if the numbers are good, like if he has efficiency stuff, if he's averaging like almost three stocks or something, right? You're well within the realm of possibility for like these massive, massive accolades. And on top of that, you know, we'll see what happens with the team, but it's going to be like, it's going to be in play. You know, Slomo says they were not good the past two years with Fred and Pascal. I think that 
maybe, you know, they, that's what I'm saying though, right? Is like Masai wanted to give them a shot. And I said, they held on too long. Right. And, you know, Masai, I think said as much, it's been interesting to watch like the team jostle for position, trying to get back into the swing of things, trying to get back into the playoff picture and very nearly did it. I, what were they like 15 and 11? which maybe is like a 46 or 47 win pace post trade deadline or post Jakob trade. And I think they thought they had something, but the thing that they thought they had was just not there anymore. And also on top of that, they weren't able to like rebuild on the fly or retool on the fly or anything like that. And this is a team that has been kind of like hot potatoing their idea of what they want to be. And now they know what they want to be. And like Scotty is the North star for that. You work towards the future with that in mind and you build around that with with Scotty in mind. And if Scotty in like four years or something doesn't fit the bill of what people think like a number one option should be, I like I really don't see him being anything less than a three or a two. And guess what? If you want to be a really good team, threes and twos fit. Like Pascal Siakam, was he the number one option that many people wanted him to be? No. Is he like is is Indiana happy with him so far? They seem to be. And was like, as you know, was he fitting in as like the two slash three with Kyle Lowry on the 2019 championship team? Yeah, you need good players to win. So Scotty Barnes, you try and build. And there you go. If you need to pivot, you pivot. But like, give the kid a shot. He's putting up massive numbers. He's always he's been able to score late in games. I know he didn't against the Thunder. He has a lot of like unique talents. He is like a really creative playmaker. I think that it's it's been something that the Raptors have been trying to work their way towards, but it was kind of like the you know the Green Goblin mask speaking to Masai saying like, "Give him a shot," you know. I don't I don't know if I got a Green Goblin impression in me, but it's been it's been a team that's tried to find its identity elsewhere, and eventually pivoted to find it somewhere they maybe didn't expect to go to so soon, and there it is. Scotty's got the team. And Scotty has a team that they're not getting buy-in defensively from everybody up and down the roster. They're not, and I don't think that's Darko's fault. I don't, I don't think that's anyone's fault. That's just like, that's what it is. Guys, you expect them to be like professionals and, and play to the best of their ability, but like asking a bunch of independent actors to act the same way sometimes can be really tough. And especially when the goal of the team is not really intrinsic to the people that are there. And so what you get is like Bruce Brown is maybe not playing as well as Bruce Brown can. And as far as like Gary Trent Jr., you know, Gary Trent Jr. maybe didn't turn out to be exactly what, you know, Masai and those types of peoples have had as an idea, like as he would develop into as the shooting guard trading Norman Powell for him. Emmanuel Quickly has maybe been like, hmm, Dennis Shooter has maybe been a little bit like, hmm, all that kind of stuff. Even Grady is underwhelmed to start the season, right? But he just turned 20 not so long ago. He'll have tons of time to progress. You know, um, we have a couple different things. Mugarbe Lennon says, Masai never build around Pascal. I, I think I do agree with that to some degree. I think that, you know, and this is like kind of an interesting conversation because from the point of view of saying Masai never built around Pascal, I think that's true. I don't think that the team was ever built trying to maximize Pascal or what a team with Pascal might have looked like. But I don't think that Pascal 
was ever like a no-brainer. You have to cater the team to him completely. And I think that the Raptors kind of were hedging on trying to build a different type of team that they knew Pascal could exist in, and that team underwhelmed and underperformed. And, you know, I think that there's probably an avenue over the past few years that they could have built better, you could argue that. Um, But also, then people would start arguing the same thing, which is like diminishing returns, right? Like, well, if you do build better, how good is the team at the end of it all? And, you know, the hope was that, I know my hope, I'll say that much, my hope was that Pascal and Scotty, you know, when I looked at them the first season together, and you could see the statistical correlation that Scotty benefited from Pascal taking like the more difficult check on offense, like the more difficult defender. And you could see that like Scotty scored better when Pascal was on the floor, like he shot better when Pascal was on the floor. The defense bending form was good. And my initial hope for those two was like, Scotty is going to be like an all NBA player someday. I tracked all his possessions in his rookie season. I said like, I think this guy's going to be a superstar. And I hoped that like, I didn't know how long it was going to be, but that eventually the hope is obvious that you have Scotty elevate past Pascal and not in the, you know, everybody's talking about like selfishness and like the fans on one side are saying like, you know, screw this guy. And everybody's talking about usage rates and all that kind of stuff, but kind of like a harmonious passing of the torch was the expectation for me. And I thought that maybe they could coexist as like, well, if Pascal isn't the number one, then like you build a team that is you try and build a really good team. Pascal can obviously coexist on really good teams. And then Scotty emerges. That was the hope. And like, especially for a team like the Raptors, who, you know, hasn't ever been able to like throw money at somebody in drafts and, and get somebody really good in free agency. You would hope that like Pascal, who is like not this season, but in seasons past has been like all NBA impact and all NBA in accolade and kind of like hanging around all-star level. Um, this season and certainly above it last season those types of things you're like okay you hope that guy stays and you know in the the cap terminology like retain the asset work from there but it just none of that went smoothly so the building around pascal was clunky the marginal decisions that the raptors made as a drafting team none of them have worked out over the past however many years the marginal decisions they've made as a team in free agency none of those have worked out in the past however many years and as far as like the trades that they've made, um, you kind of look back with the, I guess, 2020 vision or whatever, however you want to frame it. And they maybe didn't get the better end of, uh, you know, a few trades. So that kind of stuff is important. And I just wanted it to be harmonious, you know, between the, the passing of the torch, because, you know, I think slow-mo ha- had said earlier, you know, Scotty is the best player drafted or signed since Vince. I think that's, you know, that's kind of the, the cons- consensus among the fan base. And it's, you know, like, that's true. He's putting up these massive numbers in year three. And while, like, technically Pascal's year three was a really big year for him, too, and he won a championship, and, like, that's awesome, you're also, he was, you know, like, three or four years older at that point in time, right? And Scotty, relative to age, impact, you know, how illustrious his career is starting out as, I don't know, like uh, the fourth overall pick. That's, you know, this is definitely an impressive start to his career and the best since Vince Carter, totally. I don't think that, um, I don't think that the Raptors have ever had something like that beside Vince. You know, they've had guys grow into really good players. Kyle Lowry may be the most notable, you know, Pascal and DeMar certainly in there, but 
Scotty is kind of like in a league of his own. Aubrey Los Ojos says, technically the best drafted player since McGrady and then Bosch. And Martial Arts Fights says, that's Chris Bosch erasure. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I'll take that on the chin. Maybe maybe papering over Chris Bosch for sure. McGrady, I don't know if that really counts. But yeah, it's um, it's been kind of like, it's tough to build a good team, right? You know, it's tough. Um, Alex says, Samson, what if Scotty ends up Siakam 2.0? Not a better version, but this all-NBA forward who isn't a true superstar. Well, that still should be a win, right? Like, this was the thing that I always thought with Pascal and I've thought about a lot of players is, like, fans get really caught up on the idea of, like, well, is my guy a number one option? And the number one option on a championship-winning team is, like, a top 20 player of all time, usually. And is the likelihood strong that Scotty is, like a, like, a top 20 player of all time? Probably not. That doesn't mean he he couldn't be or whatever, but, you know, Coco has it right on the nose here. Not everyone has to be a superstar. You know, if Embiid had been healthy, like the 76ers could, like they had a chance to win titles with Tobias Harris making, you know, being paid a max contract, right? The Bucks won a title with Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton on max contracts. Not everybody has to be a superstar. And even if Scotty ends up being just in quotations, you know, an all NBA forward, then you have an all NBA forward that allows you to build in different ways. And it still should be your prerogative to like build as good a team as possible if you have an all NBA forward. And maybe that was like Mugarbe's point earlier talking about building around Pascal is like when, when you have that level of player, keep them in house, make them part of what you're building even if they aren't like the end all be all the number one guy, you know, those guys are really rare. That's just how it is. Alex says, but isn't that what this front office is betting on with Scotty? No, I I don't think so at all. I think that like, even take like OKC, for example, OKC, you know, there were rumors, you know, two, three years ago that Shea was available for trade. To me, seemed ridiculous, but OKC didn't know the star that they had. They they probably didn't expect Shea to be like an MVP candidate in his like on his max extension. No way. They definitely didn't see that. And you know, when you look at a team that if you're just building saying like this guy has to be the the number one option and only then we can build, then you're really really bad at your job as like a, a team builder, as a GM, as all this kind of stuff. You're really bad at your job. Masai has been really good at his job and was like vaunted because Masai never had an opportunity to draft the number one pick or a number one overall guy or the number one guy, right? He built a fantastic team. One of the best teams we've seen over the past like decade was that Raptors championship team. They were immensely talented, totally vaunted defensively. Had a lot of different, like a diverse approach to offense. Could score a million different ways. And even after they won the championship, a ton of guys flourished in the vacuum that, you know, Kawhi Leonard left. There was more talent on that team than even was present during the championship. That's how good they were. And that team was not built with any one guy in mind. It was just a team that was built trying to get good players. Like trading Terrence Ross for Serge Ibaka Serge Ibaka was filling a role as a power forward, right, on that team. 
He was the power forward in a year where the Raptors wanted to try and be like pseudo contenders. They traded Ross because they did a good job with their second round pick in Norman Powell, who made them think like, okay, we hit on a second rounder. So now we can trade Terrence Ross to fill a hole at power forward that we've been filling with like Luis Scola and Jared Solinger and Amir Johnson and Serge Ibaka as a Raptor when they won the championship wasn't really by that time like the fix at power forward. Pascal Siakam had come as the 27th overall pick and supplanted him. And Serge in the finals was a backup center who ran roughshod over the weak, you know, second unit of the the Warriors. It can't just be like, I build around this guy. It has to be, I try and win everything I do as a GM or a president or whatever the hell else, right? You you don't look at like a second round pick and say, does this guy fit Scotty Barnes, the number one option? No. You don't look at your first round pick and say that necessarily. You say like, can I pick the best damn player in a trade? Can I get the better player? Or can I get the player that conceivably could be better in next the next three years? Or is it this player is a decent facsimile of what we need, plus there's a pick attached to him that could end up, you know, if we trust our prospect scouts to become really good too. It's not, it's not like zero-sum building around Scotty. If Scotty doesn't become a top 20 player, a top 30 player of all time, if he's just, in quotation marks, an all-NBA forward, Scotty's doing his job. Certainly, unequivocally, he's doing his job. Becoming an all-NBA forward is nuts. Very difficult. And if the Raptors don't know how to pivot and keep building on the fly as they have an all-NBA forward, that's like, that's bad management, right? That's what that is. You, it can't be the end-all be-all. And I know some people might think like, then why did we trade Pascal and all-NBA forward or something like that? I get it, but this is the way the team is going. It's, it is built around Scotty with Scotty in mind. But if Scotty doesn't end up being the number one on the championship team, that just means that the Raptors have to keep looking for that guy. And that's really hard, but they did it once. And that's what the NBA is about. It's finding that guy. It is proven over and over and over again that in the NBA, unlike any other sport, basically, team sport, you can like homogenize possessions under the house of one player to guarantee a certain percentage of outcomes to be truly, truly high level. In other sports, you can't really do that. And that means that whoever the best player is and the best players in basketball can imprint so much of themselves on a game at once that you know a lot of times if you build a decent team around the best player we saw lebron do it you can just win the chip and so is scotty gonna be that type of guy that like and like the bucks did it too the bucks they didn't build the best possible team around Giannis. they had a ton of like they overpaid for stuff they didn't necessarily draft well they were able to get a few like biannual exception guys and all that kind of stuff like good some wins but, like, it was clunky team building. What happened was, I guess, Giannis made almost every, like, what do you go, 19 of 20 from the line? He scored 50 in a Kozo game in the finals. 
He's incredible. And they won. Is Scotty going to be the type of guy who makes their the Raptors, like Masai and Bobby's job, that easy? Like, just try and build a good team, and you can overpay for good guys to make sure good guys are here. I'm immense and an MVP. I'll make it happen. I don't know if that's how good Scotty will be. It would be so cool if he was. But if he isn't, the job is the same as ever for Masai and Bobby. The job isn't to, like, just have Scotty and be like, okay, time to develop. Everything's on your shoulders. No, Scotty's developing. He'll continue to do so. Those guys got to go do their job. They got to draft good players. They got to trade for good players. They got to sign good players. You know, them's the breaks. That's kind of how this shakes out. It's, it's good to have expectations for Scotty from a fan base perspective. And it's good for the team to have expectations and for them to kind of be in unison in what they expect. But it's perfectly fine if he doesn't end up being that way. That just means you got to like pivot and try and do stuff. Phoenix Play Z says, Scotty's floor, in my opinion, is the third best player on the championship team, i.e. Pascal in 2019. I think that's a very good floor. Yeah, I mean, Scotty, I'm sure if you put Scotty on a very good team this season, he would fit in very easily, and that team would be way better just because he's there, and that is like, that's just what it is. Phoenix Play Z adds, the ceiling is the sky. Yeah. Scotty can become like truly a marvel on the court. And we've seen it for, you know, a few games at a time. Even even if you look at December, what he averaged like 26 and 7 over the course. And, you know, Rob the Clown says he will never be a number one option. That's okay, too. I mean, like there's like Tyrese Maxey averaged like 26 and 7 over the course of the season. He's a number two option, right? Just players are insanely talented these days. But I don't... um. I don't typically like appreciate the the polarization of like be a number one or you're not valuable that, you know, players get subjected to just be like a really good player and you'll fit in. And then you're kind of at the whim of like, do you get to play with one of the five best players in the NBA? Maybe, maybe not. That's probably what separates you being able to win a championship. You're not like as self-determinant as LeBron or KD for a time or Steph Curry or Jokic or something like that. But yeah, Phoenix Blazy asks, if you were to project Scotty's realistic ceiling, do you think it's where Pascal is at right now? No, Scotty, Scotty certainly should be able to, like the ceiling is higher than Pascal ever reached. That's the hope. Of course, like, of course, the, the hope should be that Scotty can elevate past, you know, the high water mark that, that Pascal set on the Raptors. Certainly. I think that's um, something really important to hope for. And and if he doesn't, then then you look at what it is. But um, the hope certainly should be like, you know, not even just like above that, but well above that. Why not dream on Scotty being, you know, a top 10 player? Why not dream on Scotty being a top five player? If he doesn't, just don't be too upset. You can say it like, that's half the fun of being a fan is like, my guy rocks. He's the best. I think he's going to be the best. That's fandom. Big time. And if he isn't, then like take a chill pill and don't take it out on when he's not, you know, just try, try to take it a little bit easy. It's good to have those expectations, but yeah, Phoenix Play Z adds, you know, as an addendum to all this quote, I think he can end up near a Paul George level player in terms of impact. Stylistically, they're not the a similar at all. Yeah. Paul George was what his best season was considered. He was considered by. 
media to be the third in MVP voting, right? I think like, yeah, it's tough to win the MVP in the NBA. Like if, if you're a betting man, you wouldn't bet on Scotty winning an MVP in his career. Like the odds wouldn't be in his favor, but you certainly could and it could happen, but the odds probably aren't strong for it. Um, and then, yeah, first team all NBA, you know, Nesta actually just saying this. Nesta um, has said a few times that Scotty is the next American born MVP. You know, the uh, I think, you know, the, the people from across the water have been dominating the sport for so long. You know, what's the last like five MVPs? And Bede has one, Jokic has two, Giannis has two, and then it was Harden before that. Yeah. And then, yeah, Keir Doyle says Luka Doncic plays basketball like God himself and probably won't ever win an MVP. I was talking about this with my friends yesterday. I was like, is is Luka going to be like the guy who has the most top five finishes ever that never won an MVP? Because, like, he, he might, you know? <laughs> Luka, he, he just might never get it. And part of that is, like, he, he'd have to have a whale of a season defensively. And the Mavericks just have to be good. But, yeah. Raptors fan says, Samson, you need spam protection in chat, LOL. I don't know how to set up any of this. I just do my best to talk to you guys as we stay up late talking hoops. I'll tell you this much, though. I'm going to hit it again. Um, somebody mentioned the, the likes. Um, make sure to like the video while you're here, however many concurrent viewers. Um, it's free. Hopefully you're listening because you enjoy the work. And a free way to say thanks for the work is to just like the video. On top of that. I'll tell you this much. Come to Rivoli tomorrow. 6 p.m. is when doors open. As far as guests for the live show, myself, William Liu, Blake Murphy, Lindsay Dunn, uh, Amana Don, Trevon Heath, Brandon Leftwith, Andrew Damwin, Louis Zatzman, Fandiar Berhaney. I nailed them all. Um, it's it's going to be a really fun night of talking hoops. And then on top of that, if you want to subscribe to Raptors Republic, that's how we keep this going. That's how I get paid. I like big shout out. I got the $5 donation in chat tonight. Thank you very much. But I do the work of a full-time beat reporter and, you know, I write pieces and like Sean Woodley and William Liu do reaction stuff. And a lot of people do reaction podcasts the game after, but I also do like long form stuff. I do research essays type stuff. I do scouting report type stuff. I do written work. I do gamers. I do all that kind of stuff and how that gets paid, how I get paid to do it is the subscription model on Raptors Republic. If you have the means, you enjoy the work. It um, goes a long way for myself and all the writers over there. Okay. One last question from Phoenix Playzy, since you're in here after every game, and I appreciate that very much. Do you think the shy JM backcourt can get us the gold in the summer? I think we at least have a puncher's chance. End quote. Hell yeah, man. Why not? Why not dream on it? It's also, you know, I kind of, this is like, you know, nobody celebrates injuries, nothing like that. But I think that Joel Embiid was a huge swing factor for the front court when it comes to the U.S. And I don't know if Embiid is going to be set to play. And I don't even know if the 76ers will like say, hey, you'll go to the Olympics. So the front court situation for the U.S. might not be as like easy as they wanted it to be. And Serbia did a really good job, like like a fantastic job. Um, they they played beautiful basketball at FIBA, like the World Cup. They were tremendous. But 
why not? Why not Canada? You know, slow-mo says live pod plan for Thursday. Yeah, I'll probably do a live. Um, just like during the last like two hours of the trade deadline, probably I'll just be sitting here. Maybe I'll invite a friend over. We'll chop it up or something like that. But, or maybe I'll talk to somebody in the industry on a zoom or whatever. Um, yeah. Matt Utley says, will you ever do a co-reaction with William Liu? I feel you guys would have some really good breakdowns. Uh, no, because like just, just the way it is, is like he does it for Sportsnet right after the game. And I do it for Raptors Republic, but we do podcasts together every once in a while. So we did one this summer. And if you want to hear myself and William Liu interacting, you know, we do it when we see each other, of course, at games and stuff. But, you know, Rivoli tomorrow night, if you want to come hear us talk to each other, he's on the panel that I'm hosting. So there'll be some of that. But um, Keir Doyle says pop the sub a few weeks going to slaps. Recommend y'all. Thank you. Um, That's incredibly nice. That's about it. That's all I got to say. Okay, everybody. That's a podcast. We got an hour out of it. I thought we were going to get 25 minutes. Good Lord. This is absurdity. This is absurdity. Okay. I'm looking very much forward to all of you. I'm sure there's some in chat who I'll see tomorrow night. Don't be afraid to introduce yourself. I'll probably remember the names. I've been seeing you guys this whole season. Scrolling up and down. Um, Yeah. Okay. Here's a good one before I get out of here. Ayuti says, you guys should call for Darko firing. Don't be afraid. Zara would do it. Who is Zara? Am I missing something? Zara? Is there a media member named Zara? Or is there like... I don't know anybody in Zara in the media room, I don't think. Also, I will come out on the other side of this. It's always good, but like, I pay a lot of attention to like the schematics of what the Raptors run on both sides of the floor. I think Darko's doing a pretty good job. Um, the players seem to like him. And he was able to get, I think, good defensive performances out of a team at the start of the season. And he's had the deck shuffled on him completely. And not only are the players on the back foot as far as like who they play with right now, but so is the coaching staff. And not a lot of coaches, I don't think, could just like, coach a team through this much volatility um, and like keep the defense in a fantastic way. Not only is it like the whole, the whole team is changing from a personnel point of view because of trades, but also like there's been a ton of injuries and half the guys think they're going to get traded. So like I, I look at this team. I don't think this looks poorly upon Darko at all. Mark day. is like a fantastic coach in Oklahoma city. And guess what they said about him for a long time when the team was losing. They thought he was a bad coach. They did. People thought Mark was not a good coach. Mark is a good coach. Darko is a good coach. I like. I think Darko's good at his job. He's not turning this team into like you know a plucky playing team. Maybe that's what some people want, but I don't think he should be fired. And I certainly won't call for that in the media. Um, I'll just keep talking about the games and writing my pieces that. Sometimes say like, hmm, I disagree with Darko here. Or like, I think Darko did something really good here. But um, no, I won't call for his firing. I'm going to come out on the other side of that one. But I appreciate the insight. And if I am forgetting somebody named Zara in media, who is particularly fond of calling out coaches to be fired, my apologies. But I don't know a Zara, I don't think. Anyway, everyone, thank you so much. Like the video before you get out of here. 
everybody in chat thanks for tuning in for an hour and two minutes good lord and um yeah oh here's a really nice one solar tier says you're the david attenborough of raptor games thanks for being the bright spot of these dark games i'm just glad you guys enjoy it that's like i i i missed what like one game is after it was related to the seizure stuff but i like uh i like hanging out with you guys after a game it's it's much better than uh than just like the regular reaction podcast that used to be. I think Aubrey Losojos asked a question that I didn't get to about um, it kind of being surreal to sit in the dark or just like sit and talk to yourself. It is odd, you know, because, you know, there's no guest. I've been monologuing for an hour and three minutes. That's not human. That's not normal. What makes it feel more normal is the fact that I'm interacting with you guys. So thank you so much for the interactions. You guys make it way better. I hope that I help make your interaction with the team more fun and afterwards the game etc okay we've rambled long enough thank you to everybody for hopping in listeners on the audio broadcast thanks for tuning in during your walk or walking the dog or going to sleep or whatever it is okay whether you got into this in the morning or at night have a blessed day and goodbye